knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 538. Jason Lingren is with me, and Athen Kamente returns. For those of you who have followed and remember, Athen practices sidereal astrology. What that basically means for us is that any given time he's considering astrological things, he could go outside, look up at the actual sky that is above his head. That is one of the major reasons that I have Athen on. Uh, This is not to defame tropical or other methods that do a calculation. I think all of it's important. I opt for this basically because I guess I'm more a realist than anything else. And I like the idea of reflecting what's truly above my head. Uh, Part of that is because of the lunar calendar. By the way, we're going to cover one of our longtime followers who's made an app that converts calendars, but the calendar conversion goes into lunar. Uh, We'll talk about that on another occasion. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a hot good morning. Yeah, we got a hurricane that's going to skirt us. Doesn't look like it's going to hit Rhode Island per se, but it is kind of a monster. Uh, I have a feeling it's going to hit cooler waters when it gets up here, but let's jump in. Welcome, Athen. Hey, guys. Great to be on. Thank you again. How have you been doing? You're still traveling the world. Yep, doing the digital nomad thing. So currently in Ireland uh, a little bit. And then, um, yeah, not sure where, maybe maybe back, probably back to Europe, mainland. Are you going to park in Europe for a while? No, I mean, uh, you know, we just, we might go to Mexico next. I mean, we just, you know, kind of travel wherever it's kind of convenient for that time. Because, you know, I can stay in like, for example, the Schengen area for three months and then I got to bounce out. And so it's just kind of whatever's more like logistical and where we kind of maybe want to go at that time. But yeah, it's pretty flexible where we go. Well, for everyone listening, Athen has been on the money more times than I can count now with the energies that he has predicted months before they occur, uh, lining up very well with what we see. The one I always reckon is the one that I remember. I think it was December 14. Athen had said that the inoculations would come ready. It was to the day where I am in Rhode Island. That one always stands out in my mind. But if you go through comments on past episodes, Uh, you'll see that it's been really quite astonishing. But Athen, why don't you tell people what you do, where they can find your work? Yeah, so uh, True Sidereal Astrology, using the visible skies, you said. Websites, masteringthezodiac.com. There's also a YouTube by the same name. And uh, yeah, we just have our, uh, just put up our reports. So finally, it's actually taking me a few years to build this thing. But uh, True Sidereal Reports, where it's not like a reading, you get the printout of all of the uh, placements and all the descriptions of that. So yeah, super excited about that. That's that's finally out. Um, but yeah, resources there for everyone to check out the true sky when they were born and uh, see what that looks like and how it's different from the mainstream stuff and uh, courses, videos, all that good stuff. And you're still posting YouTube clips regularly, right? Yeah. Once a week, I do the uh, weekly forecasts. So everyone listening, if you wanted to have something drawn up personally, birth charts, other things, you can contact Athen. As a matter of fact, I think in the forum, I had Athen just sketch out basically based on my birth date and it's available somewhere. If you go into the forum and you can't find it, someone will probably help you there. But here's the episodes that Athen has been on from the most recent to the oldest, 501, 565.5, 349, 327, 287, 
244, 202, 186, and lastly, 164, which was Athens' first appearance with us. Anyhow, uh, Athens, I'd like to talk about comets just for a minute. I'd like to get your take on them. What's the name? Is it Nishimura, the recent one? Yeah, that's the recent one. Yeah, Nishimura, and it's actually going through the Zodiac, which is very interesting. Uh, It doesn't always happen like that. And um, yeah, it started in Gemini in terms of when it became visible, uh, essentially. And let's see where we are now. I'm looking up. I made an article about this uh, also on the website, but um, we are on September 13th. So it's in Leo uh, right now. So Leo from September 5th through the 16th. So, yeah. So, you know, comets are transformative energy in astrology. And, you know, they're not energy that's like part of ourselves. Like in astrology, we consider the planets are part of ourselves because, you know, they're, they've always been there, fundamental. Comets being more temporary experiences passing probably from who knows where, but outside of the norm of things tend to bring in some sort of message. They're considered like, you know, planets are, are travelers, but, you know, I'd really call the comets messengers coming to share something with us from outside of our normal perspective and usually for some sort of change or transformation of some kind. So what's interesting, I'll bring up some of the things that I've brought up many times. Uh, back in the 90s, when I first got into my telescope, I wanted nothing more than to shoot deep space and comets, things like that on film, which is how we did it back then, much more difficult than it is today. I'd never seen a green comet. I knew every major comet for the past, I mean, 150 years, maybe, not quite, probably as long as they've been filming them, something over 100 years, I think. Basically, if you showed me a picture back then of a comet, I could recognize whether they were periodic. I, I just, there's not that many of them. And The thing is, is they're usually white. Bear in mind, these were shot on film, not shot digitally. Um, I don't know why they're green, to be honest with you now, but so many of them are green, which is the odd thing. Back in the day, they would be white. You might get traces of blue, occasionally a whisper of yellow. I do not recall back in the day seeing all these green comets. Now, sometime, and I'm going to ballpark a guess, this is off my memory, every comet started being green. Uh, It's a weird thing. Now, historically, Athen, uh, if you go back through the records and I go back to like Tycho Brahe, there's almost always a sense that a comet is bringing negative. Actually, the way I think Tycho saw it might be forecasting something that's going to happen that's negative. Uh, In your mind, in your modern practice, do you have any idea that a comet has a negative connotation attached with it? I mean, the way I see things in astrology is, is, you know, really from a psychological growth perspective. So I don't, I don't see anything in the sky as inherently negative or positive, but I definitely do see them as easier and challenging. You know, certain like in astrology, you know, certain plants like Venus and Jupiter, for example, are con- considered benefics, and you know, that's that's an ancient idea that generally the energy is easy to integrate. Right. And and you can see them visibly. I mean, they're the most beautiful, you know, luminaries in the sky. Um, and then, you know, you'd have your traditional malefics, which would be like Mars and Saturn, who look quite serious. And um, and you know, in astrology, as we've observed, are more difficult uh, to integrate. And yeah, without a doubt, all of the comets and all of the 
non-visible luminaries like Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. These are very difficult. Uh, definitely, you could say they're you know negative in the sense that they're very difficult to integrate. But I see them as as really transformative opportunities to grow. You know, same way you could say like anything negative in life is an opportunity to, to grow through it, right? Uh, that kind of a thing. But um, you know, not so much inherently negative as much as it's an opportunity to put ourselves under some kind of stress of some kind, you know, like working out, we don't want too much stress, but just enough stress uh, and knowing how to work with the energy is extremely beneficial. Obviously we transform, we become empowered as a result of that. And yeah, that's how I like to work with comets in astrology. I think that you could make the argument that the most growth that ever occurs for us in this realm is on the back of, I won't say hardship, but struggle maybe is a better word. But if you were going to outline, I'll, I'll just go through the planets and you tell me whether you think astrology counts them as benef- benefic or beneficial or malefic, which basically means the opposite of beneficial. We'll start with Mercury. How does all astrology view Mercury? Uh, generally, both in the East and West is actually quite neutral, which actually conforms perfectly with both cultures, uh, particularly for us uh, in the Greek culture, uh, Hermes you know, is androgynous. Uh, very neutral messenger uh, in the sense that he was always exchanging between the gods and never really took favor uh, to either side. So Mercury neutral, um, and that's universal for the most part. So for people listening, originally Jason and I set out and I planned to use the beneficial energies of Jupiter to release this podcast back in the day when we did one release per week. That shifted to Mercury energy. And it did it in a weird way because it was never really a conscious decision. It was later, but the transfer itself was not conscious. In other words, it's how I cover things on this podcast. Typically, if something comes into my life path, that's how it gets covered here, or at least a major portion of it. For people out there who are interested in the sky clock, Mercury uh, is more difficult to view. You have to have a good low to the horizon view. And Mercury, from our point of view, never gets that far off the horizon. And there are two planets that have kind of like this weird orbit from our point of view. We're told because they're between us and the sun, uh, as opposed to being told that the other bigger planets on Mars are outside us. So Venus is the other. Bringing up Venus, what is astrology's view on Venus in terms of malefic or beneficial? Uh, benefic, and that's another universal one. Uh, and just straight up, you know, you can see it. It is, you know, arguably the most beautiful uh, star in the sky. That's, you know, you could make the argument for Jupiter, but that's the other benefic as well. Um, but yeah, you know, and again, uh, you can always use mythology or just the ancient uh, interpretations of that energy. And it's always, well, I don't want to say always, but you know, the vast majority of times uh, seen as a positive force. So for those who do the crossover into alchemy, Venus is going to be the metal copper. Uh, there's a color, which I don't know why it's escaping me at the moment. It's not yellow. I, I'm not even going to guess because I'm spacing it out. But of all the things you could go out with your naked eyes or binoculars and look at, Venus is stunningly gorgeous. It is a pure piercing I would call it like a diamond light, very white, bright, brilliant, and it can be both the morning star 
and the evening star. In other words, there will be times when you would go out in the morning and it would be above the horizon in the east, and other times when the sun has gone down that it will be up and viewable in the west. Um, anyhow, moving along the chain, Mars, um, for people listening, is the alchemical metal would be iron. And I think we know, Athen, but go ahead. What is the world's view on uh, the energies from Mars? Yeah, malefic, red hue in nature. I mean, red is usually something of danger. And so, yeah, same thing depicted in the past in Greek mythology, Aris, uh, god of war, our own personal needs, strong ego, desires, drives, and really the outcomes of that. Which is interesting because Aries, Mars would be associated with the constellation of Aries, as you said, and uh, that represents the head interestingly enough on the human body but moving out i accept all day long that jupiter is beneficial but if we were going to look at it from an alchemical standpoint typically the metal associated with it would be tin i have heard other arguments but jupiter's a big one right people i think all over the world count that as i think it's even it's written into now that i'm thinking of it numbers of poems as being beautiful and beneficial happy joke where we get the word jovial for crying out loud right yeah exactly and that's what he represents astrologically yeah so uh so now you know so we are moving out like in terms of you know modern perspective of the order of the planets and um you know this is where we start to get into the fathers uh of the of the gods okay so you know here jupiter zeus and uh then the other one's Kronos, which i'm sure we'll get to next saturn um, and so these were considered like the, you know, the fathers of most of the gods, you know, the gods that we just talked about. And But yeah, um, the more benefic god. So the Jupiter age, uh, which is about expansion, philosophy, uh, higher learning, spirituality, uh, this kind of more, uh, you know, expansive elements of life, seeing the bigger picture, learning, studying. And of course, when we do have an open perspective of life, we do become more open-minded, more jovial, you know, these kinds of qualities that we associate with Jupiter. So for those who go out and look at the night sky, it's very easy when they are visible to go out with your naked eye and see both Jupiter and Saturn. If you use binoculars with Jupiter, you can see four of the moons typically, and uh, you could detect the rings of Saturn with a decent pair of binoculars. But what's interesting is the light. The light with naked eye on Jupiter, it's very bright, one of the brighter things in the sky. Uh, It does have a happy sense to it. Uh, In contrast, the light from Saturn, which is a bit smaller to our naked eye, uh, feels cold. But as we get out to Saturn now, of course, it's the planet with the binding rings. The color would be black, usually, in alchemy. And of course, the metal would be lead. For the life of me, I don't know why we are not exposed to these ideas about the planetary alchemical ideas that preceded us, uh, the metals, the colors, just a basic overview should be given young people in my point of view. But let's talk about Saturn for a minute. Yeah. So Saturn, again, just looks serious in the sky, not super bright and very distant. Uh, so it is that colder, you know, more detached energy. And, and that's what he represents astrologically. Uh, Kronos ate the baby, the babies of his, you know, of his young and always seen as a very, um, again, malefic force. And 
this would be the more denser ages. So if Jupiter's expansion and the higher realms, uh, Saturn would be getting denser and more about the contracting energies and all the, you know, again, periods that we live under could be classified as a cycle going between Jupiter and Saturn eras and Jupiter being the more expansive ones or the higher ones, and then Saturn being the more denser and more physical ones. And before we get into the proper uh, sidereal astrology, Athen mentioned a, an interesting point. Saturn ate the babies. Uh, that's typically meant to be a metaphor in most people who cover the old myths. And what it basically is supposed to mean is that Saturn is the furthest away from us, supposedly, slowest to make an orbit and is associated with time. Whenever you see death in the scythe, the Grim Reaper idea, that's all Saturn. So eating the babies is basically an allegory or metaphor for time kills everything to include, you know, his own babies. But let's get into it. We're here in the month of September uh, in 2023. What's going on this month that you see is important? For my money, I think some of the big changes that I have my eye on one of them is definitely money. I think the push to get away from any form of physical money is going to be never ending and they're going to keep pushing in that direction. The other big thing that will change our world in ways that we cannot yet imagine is artificial intelligence. But let's pick up roughly halfway through the month of September here. Do you see anything interesting coming for the rest of the month? Uh, so like I said, like from a yearly perspective, which I'm sure we'll get into, you know, it's it's really next year where there's a lot of very important things astrologically. Um, and I, I kind of pointed to that earlier this year when we did the last podcast, not that um, this year hasn't been eventful, uh, but just that I think next year definitely will be much more significant. Um, but right now we're essentially ending the current lunar cycle. Um, so we're going to have a new moon here in a couple of days. It's going to be right in between Leo and Virgo in the sky. And so this will be essentially a new cycle really starting about Virgo. So Virgo is all about the improvements and refinement side of things. And so I think it's just a good time to see what can be fixed, improved, refined upon uh, in our own personal lives. But I think a lot of what we're experiencing this next month, this next lunar month uh, is really preluding to the eclipses um, that we're going to have in October. Um, and so we'll have them October 14th, and that's going to be the total solar eclipse. And then October 28th will be the partial uh, lunar eclipse there. And that's where they're going to be. They're going to be in this uh, Virgo-Pisces polarity. So I think, you know, this is just the prelude. I think this, you know, lunar month until we get to this eclipse months in the context of really balancing out this more physical world, like Virgo is about taking care of what we have to take care of. It's about fixing, improving things. It's really the kind of not survival as in like fight or flight or anything like that, but just the taking care of things and sustaining and, you know, creating those systems and structures that we depend on on our everyday life. But that's opposite Pisces, which is the very spiritual constellation. And so that has more to do with the non-physical in the sense of really practicing to make peace with how things are and let go of things outside of our immediate control like Virgo. So I think that's going to be a main theme. I think we'll see that collectively as well. It's, you know, again, a good time uh, for things that are more in the physical world. And maybe, you know, we might see this being pushed as well 
things that need to be fixed, problems might, you know, just on a yearly sense, not, you know, nothing major again, but, you know, just things that need to be fixed, problems, you know, things like that coming to the forefront. And then um, balancing that with Pisces, which is, again, remembering that there is, of course, only so much in our control and uh, there are so many things outside of our control. And so, you know, making peace with that side of it, stuff that's not in our control and just remembering to check in, you know, check in with our, with our soul, with our spirit, with our intuition, and that'll help balance out a lot of the real detailed physical improvement, fixing problems type of stuff that just naturally occurs this time of the year. But it is going to be, you know, again, quite emphasized because this is where we have the Rahu and Ketu, right? The North and South nodes, because that is where we have the eclipses. And so that's the, um, that's the eclipse season coming up in October, where I think it'll really start to get integrated. Well, there's two things. It sounded like you wanted to make a statement about a year from now, September, but since you brought it up, Let's redefine eclipses. Uh, it was 2017, I believe it was August. It was the first full solar eclipse in the United States that we've had in some time. I had been filming every eclipse or transit of any kind to include lunar. Uh, and with the sun, I'd been working on one thing, trying to prove that the moon played no role in the blacking out of the sun. Athen just mentioned what's called the nodes. Rahu and Ketu, uh, sometimes referred to as the head and tail of the dragon. Do you accept, Athen, that is the nodes that cause the blacking out of the sun that we see during an eclipse, or do you think it's something else? Do you think it's the moon? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I just know what I what I see there. I just go by that. Uh, but astrologically, uh, it is the south node, okay, so the Ketu, is the drawing out of energy, okay? And it's important to make the distinction between what kind of eclipse is it? Is it a Rahu or Ketu eclipse? And this, of course, doesn't get talked about as much. I mean, it doesn't get talked about at all in you know astronomy. That's a tell. You know, that's a tell. How can that be? But anyhow, go ahead. Right. So there's a very important distinction astrologically uh, between what kind of eclipse it is. So, so you know, October 14th, that's a total solar eclipse with Ketu. Okay, so this this one is, and, and again, I'm not trying to blow this out of proportion because we have one every year. So every year we have two solar eclipses, one's a Rahu, one's a K2. Okay, so the ones now in the autumn time are, you know, K2. And so- Tail uh, of the dragon. A, yeah, the tail. So yeah, so so just to be clear, so this is a releasing, it's clearing, it's yin, it's the tail. So the, you know, excrement of the dragon, it's what gets pushed out. Um it's the most difficult to work with. It's, you know, the, the shit that we have to deal with in life. And, but also, you know, our roots um, that do come to the surface, but these are the kind of roots that the Hindus would call more of our karma. Okay. This is what they, this is what, where they believe past karma comes from. So it's the, you know, stuff from the past and whatnot uh, that needs to be resolved. And it's sometimes not even our own stuff. It's just the stuff, Right. Uh, but very difficult. Um, and, you know, we can go through the the activations of it because these will be important because we have, you know, basically all of the fast movers are next to each other. So usually, you know, I mean, always Mercury and Venus are close to the sun from our perspective. And Mars is always doing his in independent thing, speaking to that independent nature. But right now he's, he's close um, and he's going to be the first one uh, to pass over that K2. And so that'll be on October 5th. And so, you know, again, 
Mars representing this more fiery ego drive energy, we could see things coming up there. Hopefully nothing. And I'm not predicting anything, you know, too major, like with war or anything like that. But, you know, it is it is that planet that is associated with those things. Now, hopefully whatever does surface there, you know, does get resolved in a positive way and, and we don't get just more deceit or secrecy behind what is actually getting resolved. But uh, but yeah, I would say, you know, if we're going to dissect the next, you know, month, you know, from now, you know, 30 days, whatever. Yeah, October 5th will be interesting in that sense of what's going to be cleared and released collectively. What's some past karma that could come back regarding our past. And now usually with Mars, we're dealing with a two and a half year cycle. Okay. So the last time this happened was about, well, Mars, you know, was retrogrades, maybe closer to three, but, you know, about two and a half years ago when he was over here since then, what can be, what might be brought to the surface for this karmic resolution because this is the only contact mars will have has had over k2 since the past two and a half three years so you can see hopefully the significance of that we can look at you know what's going on in the world and all those mars related things and now this is the first pass over k2 with those new things from over the past two and a half three years so i, I want to add i want to add something to right where you are um i believe it is october 4th homeland security and I haven't looked all this up yet. Homeland Security is supposed to do one of these tests. Have you been in a room when an amber alert goes off? Apparently, they're going to do something like that. I think it's on the 4th, which would relate absolutely to what Athen is laying down. So I'm going to get your perspective here in a second. What I am told is it's coming through everything. It's going to come through television, anything connected to the internet, I am told. Uh, I still need to go look all this up. And I'm also was told by someone, and I have not confirmed this yet, that you can't turn it off on your phone. I don't know if that's true. And I'm not a phone guy, but I have notes that I'm going to shut everything down on the fourth because I'm not going to be party to such a thing. I still need to confirm that it's still happening and all these things. But Athen, assuming that this big alert that lights up every phone, television, or anything else that's on the internet as a you know a test like they do, how does that kind of idea hitting every mind in the United States in that way play into the energies of the fifth with uh, the tail of the dragon, the node called K two? Well, you know, so again, Mars being this malefic. And so, you know, with all the malefics, you're dealing with a very primal energy. You know, traditionally, traditionally, Mars uh, rules Scorpio. And Scorpio is, you know, like, like, obviously a lot more than this, but, you know, in a, in a very, it's, you know, it's the primal emotions in many ways. And so, you know, it rules like instinctual fear and um, survival. And with Mars, it's the fight response specifically. So, I mean, if you're gonna, you know, if 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 you're gonna want to really get to people, uh, really hit them on a deep instinctual level, there's not too many other transits I can think of on the top of my head that you'd want to do that under, other than Mars over the South Node. So, so you would agree? You would agree that there's timing, conscious timing, uh, in doing such a thing. I do believe that there's a lot of planning that goes into when things happen based around true sidereal. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I'm, I'm a firm believer of that only because I've seen so much. 
Now, now a lot of it could be that, you know, it's synchronicity and that obviously, like I said, these things will happen. Like in all of our lives, we will have these Mars South node experiences and there's not some puppet master behind it controlling the whole thing, or maybe there is, I don't know, but, um, but this, uh, you know, I do believe that, yes, uh, when it comes to planning major things like this, if there is a, a motive, uh, I'm quite convinced that that they're using the, you know, specific time periods when, when we're the most vulnerable for, for this or, or the most op- optimistic at other times when, you know, they might use a Jupiter transit for something, you know, but I do believe they're using the, you know, whoever they are and it can be mi- micro and macro of a level. But I do believe that, yes, there are people out there that do use the the sky to put things out under certain times because, well, it's the most conducive, you know, to do so. So, Jason, if you can do a quick look up just to get a brief confirmation from someone else that's not me on October 4, I'm going to point the thing out here. It occurred to me that we are on the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. 9-11 is the open wantonness of the world shift. Uh, put in daylight, no longer hidden. As the 22nd anniversary, people should know that in Masonic numerology and other forms, 22 is a master builder number. There are three numbers that are special, 11, 22, and 33. Typically, my life path would be marked as an 11, which is the idea from some experts that first made me aware of it, Uh, that I know all the things a 22 would know, but I don't, I can't act in the, I can't apply them in a real life way was the way it was described to me. But here's the thing. And you can ask Jason, I went back when I realized it was the 22nd anniversary of 9-11 and I watched V for Vendetta, the movie, because V is 22. In that movie, almost every name that comes up is a V name, a 22. And from my point of view, that movie masked as British is wholly about the United States. Well, here's the funny thing that's not so funny. After everything I have just described to you happened, I was made aware of the fourth thing at a higher degree. And I was told that it was going to happen at 2.20 p.m., which let me know that my thinking was on the money. So, Jason, are you seeing that this is still on for October 4? at 2.20 Eastern Standard Time. Here's the official statement released on August 3rd, 2023. FEMA, in coordination with the FCC, will conduct a nationwide test of the emergency alert system and wireless emergency alerts this fall. The national test will consist of two portions, testing WEA and EAS capabilities. Both tests are scheduled to begin at approximately 2.20 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, October 4th. So there it is. And just, I'm going to give it back to you in a second, Athen. I did just a random lookup. Here's the headline. Massive emergency alert test will sound alarms on, wait for it, U.S. cell phones, TVs, and radios. The first paragraph, this is a test. This is only a test, but it's going to be a very big test. Big is italicized. On Wednesday, October 4 at 2.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Every TV, radio, and cell phone in the United States should blare out a distinctive, jarring electronic warning tone of an emergency alert accompanied by a notice along these lines. 
This is a nationwide test of the emergency alert system issued by the Federal Emergency Management Agency covering the United States from 1420 to 1450 hours Eastern Standard Time. This is only a test. No action is required by the public. But here's the thing. This is the first we will ever see of fear porn being leveled against this many conscious minds at the same precise moment, coast to coast. For my money, I'm turning everything off and I'm opting out of it. Uh, I won't be party, but I think this is a big deal. And I think it's also a bit like breaking the glass ceiling. Nothing like this has ever been done. Uh, and they make a point to say every cell phone, every radio, every television point is, and I don't know if you took time to look, Jason, of whether it's possible to turn this off on your phone, because if the idea that I was told is that you cannot turn it off, that's a pretty big statement. Anyhow, Athen, is there anything else you'd like to add based on that idea that I just made a big deal out of? <laughs> no, I didn't know that they were going to do that on that on that day. but. Uh... Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, I did just uh, pull up the last time Mars was over K2, just for reference, for those who maybe want to dive deep or if anyone knows anything significant about this past date. And by the day, uh, by the way, I did say Mars is every two and a half years, which is true in the sky. He comes back to the same position in the sky every two and a half years. But I forgot that the nodes move backwards in the sky, so it actually shortens that. Um, but anyways, uh, December 15th of 2021 was the last time that Mars is over the South Node. So again, that's going to be the reference point in terms of those new things that have surfaced since then. Um, but also if there's anything anyone knows about the days surrounding that and uh, to kind of because, you know, with, with astrology, it's pattern recognition. So if we see the same kind of things happening every time the planet's in that position, then we get more insight into it. Now, of course, we have you know, centuries of this information, which is why we know so much about Mars and K2. But in terms of, you know, what's going on now and in modern times and how maybe it's being used, um, you know, it's good to trace those back. So yeah, again, December 15th, 2021, if anyone has anything on that. Okay. So there's two things we're going to have to cover the equinox while we're here. I don't know how much you might want to add to it, but just to finish up on eclipses in 2017, I made the announcement that the moon plays no role in an eclipse. That's maybe not the best language. What I meant to communicate was the moon is not blocking the sun. To say the moon plays no role is poorly chosen language. Point is, I think that I have proven, well, I have from my point of view, I have proven to myself that the moon is not blocking the sun during an eclipse. That black bite that eventually covers the whole thing is not the moon. The reason I'm bringing this up again is because anyone who wants to challenge what I have said, all you have to do is film the moon coming into the eclipse or as it begins to block out or as it covers the moon, which you can't really do, because if you could, it would be black backlit like that, um, probably if it's right over the top. But the point being is after I made this announcement, people started faking all this imagery and video overlaying the moon, but it was laughable because the moon was in the wrong, you know, it wasn't positioned correctly for, for the time of day, which, you know, I knew it was fake, but that proved it. So there's that finishing eclipses. If you want to do it, just go film the moon, which is being backlit 
we are told by NASA at 93 million miles by the brightest thing we know called the sun, the moon we are told by NASA is supposedly about 340,000 miles away being backlit by the sun at 93 million miles. You, if it was true, you would absolutely be able to film it. And I'm saying it can't be done. Now, moving forward, Athen, the equinox, these are the biggest of big deals. The equinoxes and the solstices to the ancients. I don't think there are any more important events that framed existence. These were the markers to end all markers. Now, I'm bringing up the equinox to see if you have anything to add about it. But as we have demonstrated, the day you experience it is due to geography. I haven't looked up this year, but all you need to do is go figure out using date time or some other uh, online resource when day and night are exactly equal to the second. That is the definition of a true equinox. The reason I'm bringing up the equinox again is because I noticed that it seems to me the low point of the sun or the winter solstice is shifting, or maybe I should rephrase that. The calendar has slipped and I can't confirm it because the Naval Observatory is still locking me off their site from back in the day when about 10 of us were using that resource to prove what we proved about equinoxes. They allow me to log on. I'll be able to do something for a minute or two. Then as I go to change pages, I get locked off and I can't get back on the site. So it must be, I must be on some list with them or something. My point is, is I started to notice the sunrise and the sunrise time shifting around the 16th, which I think should start at the 21st through the 23rd. To pull it all back around, Athen, in September, we are going to have an equinox. Uh, is there anything you'd like to comment about that? Well, let's see. Um, let's see where all the luminaries will be there. So sometime around, you said 21 to 23. The- no, the equinox, let's see. It's three to five days early in the spring. So it's going to be three to five days late. They're going to call it the 25th. So let's call it the 20. Let's just call it the 25th. Um, I'll do it while you're doing this. I'll do a date time look up and try to confirm where it is for me. Yeah, they say 23rd is the universal thing, but you said that that's not that's not accurate, right? It's on geography. Jason will be a day different than I am because he's further south. I'm guessing and not having looked anything up. I know that every spring they do it three days late. It's actually the 17th on St. Patrick's Day because St. Patrick knows but he is the equinox. He knows the right day, but they announce it as the 21st. So 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, that's four days late that they announce it. So over on the other side, which is where we are in autumn, I'm guessing it should be five days early that they announce it. So if they call the 21st, which they typically do 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, I'm calling 25 or 26 is probably the equinox, but I've got to do the lookup. Okay. Yeah, so astrologically, the moon will be in Capricorn. It's in its gibbous phase. Mercury will be direct by then. Yeah, not saying anything particularly astrological in terms of the luminary placements, but um, but obviously, yeah, yearly, um, it is a transition and very important one going from the harvest peak, I guess, you know, more, uh, you could say more. Um, outer consciousness of the summer and going more towards the inner consciousness. And, you know, we see that obviously with Halloween and other sort of um, 
events like that uh, going into fall where it becomes the shift from the sort of outer world or into the quote-unquote inner world or underworld and all that stuff gets brought to the surface we pierce the veil going you know you know quote-unquote descending into the unconscious from that point forward all right so athen as we pull into fall a lot of people who should be in a position to know things have been talking about things like uh, they're going to do things with frequencies uh, to mess with people. And that's supposedly a November thing. Uh, is there anything you would say about October, November that we haven't already that talks about energies in this direction? That was poorly worded, but I think you know what I meant. Yeah. Specifically with like frequencies and and like messing with people's energy and stuff. Yeah. Like that. Basically assaulting people's energies. Yeah. Well, uh, obviously, yeah, the, the, you know, the lunar eclipse, October 28th, that, that is, that is going to be in Pisces. Um, actually, it's going to be actually right on the cusp. Actually, that might be right into Aries a little bit. Yeah. That's actually going to be slightly into Aries. So, yeah. So obviously that, you know, that would be a time where the eclipse, uh, is always, like I said, peaking energy. Now this is peaking in, in the sense that it's the the full moon lunar eclipse. So it is the peak of the lunar month, whereas the solar eclipse we talked about earlier is more of the reset, right? The ending and new beginning. Which node are we back up to Rahu now? Yeah. So now the lunar eclipse will be a Rahu lunar eclipse. The head of the dragon. The head of the dragon. Yeah. And that one is in Pisces. So I still I still think even though the eclipse is, is in Aries technically, but it, it's, you know, this is the gap. You know, there's, there's quite a bit of a gap between Pisces and Aries. So it's it's still quite close to Pisces. But more importantly, Rahu is in Pisces. And so anytime you're dealing with an eclipse, obviously you need to read where the actual Rahu and K2 are. And so in this case, um, yeah, the North Node's actually in, in Pisces. So so you know, Pisces, and this is like the end of the zodiac. Like, so you know, the cusp between Pisces and Aries is extremely important because that marks the point between there's no real end. Like you could draw a line anywhere. And the zodiac and consider that start and end, but th- if there is a start and end, like this would be it. And so you could say that we're the most. Um, so you know, Pisces is the last, and so that's like the end of the cycle, um, the ending. And, and in a sense, it's then coming back to birth. And so it's this point where it's it's not death, it's not the constellation of death, but it is you know releasing and clearing. And in a sense that in that sense, it's death. Then, then Aries is is the birth, but you know Pisces would be more like not so much death as much as it's like, like being in the womb. So it's like before we were born. When we we're born, we were like getting the first energy of Aries. You know, the beginning of the life cycle. Before that was Pisces. You know, that was in the womb. So that's the water. It's you know more feeling. It's more spiritual. It's more intuitive. So that's what Pisces represents is more of the intuitive, spiritual. You know, the ending energies so that's going to be highly heightened um for what it's worth there so i don't know if that's going to be playing a role with why they may be choosing that but what was the dates in november exactly it was pointed out to me that early in november that these ideas are supposedly on the table which is why in past episodes i've talked about the importance of being able to turn off all your wi-fi just being cognizant of frequencies, but I can't give you a specific date. Yeah. So, so in that sense, yeah, I would say from October 28th for the next two weeks, it's just good to do what you just said. Um, you know, just be cognizant, um, uh, conscious, aware 
uh, connect to your inner self, understand that, you know, you're going to, you know, we're all going to be under the influence, like the, you know, they say the, you're under the influence uh, when, when the lunar eclipse is in Pisces, just because of the nature of Pisces, that's what it is. It's, it's being under the influence, but you know, of the water of the spiritual and uh, you know, for the next, for the remainder of that cycle, because what happens during a full moon or in this case, the eclipse, um, you know, the, the energy gets introduced, so that's October 28th, but it's for it to be incorporated for the remainder of the lunar cycle. So the next two weeks, right, until we end that lunar cycle. So yeah, you know, uh, if that does end up happening, you know, maybe a more conducive time for, for that would be October 28th. So maybe it happens a little sooner, I don't know. But really those next two weeks after that, uh, yeah, it's good to be, you know, conscious, aware like that. All right. So what I want to do here is we're coming close to the top of hour one. Can you just roll out through the end of this year, any observations you might have, then we'll wrap up hour one. And when we come back for hour two, we'll start rolling towards spring of 24. Yeah. That's what I really want to talk about there because of the, you know, astrological significance there. So, so like I said, you know, it's not that 2023 is like a no event year, it's just not that significant from an astrological standpoint. So a lot of the stuff that we're experiencing outside of really the October time with the eclipses, um, you know, it's, it's nothing I'm seeing that's like particularly standing out to me outside the norm. Of course, things, you know, can still be significant. Astrology is not 100%. I'm not 100% at being able to spot this stuff. But um, just in that tone of like the norm, nothing too much out of the ordinary there. We're going to have... Uh, the fast movers enter Libra. So that's going to be for November, the whole month of November there. All the fast movers, even Mars will be there until November 20th. Well, Mars until November 26th, the sun until November 23rd. And that's all part of the uh, lunar cycle. That'll be November 13th. Um, so Libra is about balance, uh, justice, what's right and fair. And there's probably just going to be a lot of energy on that. So, you know, collectively uh, we might see, uh, maybe things involving uh, talks, dealings, you know, international stuff, maybe trade, not so much trade, but just agreements, you know, things like that. And then personally, of course, it's good to do that too. Um, and then we get to the Scorpio season. So December, uh, as it always is, uh, at least for this millennia, uh, sun's in Scorpio uh, for December and then goes into healing a fucus uh, December uh, 7th. And that's the halfway points between Scorpio and Ephucus. These are the real deeper, uh, you know, good times for healing, personal transformation, personal empowerment. But it's going to be particularly emphasized this year because, again, Mars is going to uh, be there at the same time as the fast movers as well, you know, the Sun, and Mercury, Venus. So uh, between, you know, Mars, now Mars is at home here. So like I said, Mars is the natural ruler of Scorpio, but Mars will be here um, until the rest of December, but uh, Mercury and Venus will be lagging through there. Mercury is going to go retrograde in December, going to dip into a fucus, the healer. Venus will be there all the way until January 21st. And so, yeah, good time for exposing uh, the deeper world within ourselves and exposing the collective stuff as well. Hopefully, we'll see a lot of things get exposed. We saw a lot of that when uh, Rahu was transiting through there uh, not too long ago, back in. Um, 2021 and 2020, but um, but yeah, good to expose things, bring things to the surface, bring things to the light, and um, 
you know, we'll probably see a lot of things coming up there. There could be some things that need to be healed. Um, could be some medical stuff. All right. So, you know, anything involving any of those shenanigans, again, it's nothing out of the ordinary. Medical stuff when? Medical stuff when? Nothing. So it's nothing out of the ordinary, but we do have quite a bit of activity there, more than usual in the sense that Mars is there and Mercury's going to go retrograde there. Okay. So uh, a little more than the average year in those departments. All right. We're going to wrap up hour one. I'm going to close with a couple of ideas. Athen, can you please tell folks one more time where they can find you, um, contact you if they'd like to get a reading of some sort, but as a teaser for Going into the hour two here, I have also been told by those who claim to know something about the plan that there will be a massive push in the second quarter of 2024 for digital money. Having said that, please let people know what you do and where they can find you. Yep. So true sidereal astrology, masterinthezodiac.com. Yeah. And, and free reports now, actually. So before, when you typed in your birth details, you would just get the chart, which is you know more than enough because you can look this stuff up. But now you get interpretations with that as well. So you get a free interpretation of the most important parts of that chart. And then if you want the uh, full interpretation, uh, which I'd like to give as a discount uh, to your viewers or your listeners. Okay. Um, so masteringthezodiac.com forward slash we'll do crow with one R if that's cool. Um, actually, let's do the full thing. Crow triple seven, so C R R O W seven seven seven, and that'll get you fifty percent off that report if you want it. But check out, you know, check out the free one. Check out your chart if you haven't already. But yeah, you can go to Master the Zodiac forward slash Crow triple seven for that discount. But yeah, there's all kinds of stuff there: readings, courses, resources, videos for true sidereal astrology. Dang, that's a huge discount, Athen. If you go to my website, Athen, and click on the sponsored link, I'd like to offer you, you see the images there? If you'd like to make me a little image for Mastering the Zodiac, I, I thought I had one for you, but I don't see it here. And any discount code, I would be more than happy to put up a sponsored link for you on this page. I'm going to close out because we're getting there with the following ideas. The equinoxes are a big deal. The solstices are a big deal. If you get back to the truth of nature, one of the things that used to keep us grounded, godly, to use the word, was to follow nature's time. That was one of the things they needed to separate us from to begin the programming and to take us down the garden path that we're currently on. Having said that, the equinoxes we demonstrated uh, are dependent on geography, and they misannounce them every year. Why? Well, to keep you clipped away from these critical four divisions of our year, the all-important year, the acceptable year of the Lord, as it has been said. Now, if anyone wants to go out and try to prove wrong some of the things that I've said, the first one would be a solar eclipse. If you can film the moon coming in that's supposedly about to block the sun, then you would prove me wrong. I'm saying it can't be done. And it can't. And what led me here was my earlier prediction a very young moon. So, what that means to people is when the moon is new, you can't see it. It's like not there, supposedly all blacked out. But I prefer to say it's not there. You can't see it. When it's very young, on the right side of the moon, a sliver of light will show up. When the light's on the right, for most of us, that means it's going to wax or begin to get fully illuminated. 
when that sliver of light is right there on a very new moon, what I'm saying is the moon is see-through. And someone could prove that if they had a full spectrum camera or they had skills with maybe like a P900 or a P1000. It's a very difficult thing to do, but this is what led me to challenge the eclipse. And there were reports at the Royal Astronomical Observatory of people who said they saw Jupiter behind the moon for the entirety of the time it was occulted. They got booted out of the Royal Club there for having said such a thing. So if you can film the moon coming into a solar eclipse, you would prove me wrong. If you can film a very young moon after new uh, and shoot something that should be behind it, then you would prove me right. If you couldn't do that, this is kind of a double, it doesn't really work. I haven't figured out how to do the test. Anyhow, the low point of the sun, which should be December 21st or thereabouts, I have a feeling that date has slipped and I'm trying to figure out ways to prove it. Those are all the things on the table that I think are important and interesting. Uh, Athen has offered 50% off. That's a hell of a discount. And the reason we always have Athen on is because he nails it. Uh, I mean, every time he's done the best job of all the astrologers that I've met of coming at it with an even hand and pretty much being right on the money. Jason, anything you want to add uh, before I wrap up? Well, an hour two, I definitely would like to ask Athen about uh, where the bad guy's energies are lining up because I know he had said uh, last time that things weren't actually working in their favor, and I'd kind of like to see where we're at now. Okay, so when we come back, why don't you open up with your ideas, Jason, Athen, there's a note for you. With that, uh, that's the hour one of episode 538. Hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode. They get access to all the forums, to comments under each episode specific to that episode, and to the two-hour film called Shoot the Moon, which covers basically all of the interesting things I shot through my telescope to include five lunar waves. Some of them are from Randy from Houston, two of them, I think. And then the second sun or the sun we don't see First filming that I'm aware of, I think it was 2015, is also near the end of that film. With that, we're going to prep up for hour two. We're going to open up with the idea Jason just said, and I'm going to get Athens' spin on the idea that the push for digital currency is going to go hog wild in the second quarter of 2024. With that, I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era, and I hope to see you logged in as a member for hour two. There it is, man. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing.